A Patreon member sent me this question. Mark, I saw your posts on a few online history groups. How many such groups are you a member of? Well, I've put together a complete list of the over 100 free online history groups I've joined, which I posted for you and all my other Patreon members to exclusively peruse and enjoy at patreon.com slash Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. The glorious era that was Tudor England helped shape the early exploration and colonization of the North American continent. Join me as we continue a deep dive into Tudor England and its great transatlantic explorers. As the Tudors prepare to explore and settle in America, the battle rages on to determine if the colonization will be done under the Catholic or Protestant banner. On a recent fact-finding trip to southern England, I went in search of Queen Elizabeth I with the intent to deepen my knowledge about the Elizabethan era and learn as much as I could about the circumstances of the Queen's death and the details of her obsequies. Gloriana had illuminated an era for which she gave it her name. A grand ceremony was about to begin. Her Majesty was dressed for the occasion and quaffed in style. Good Queen Bess always dominated special occasions, and today would be no exception. Her subjects would pay her homage, as they should. Although Regina's monarch and sovereign official portraits had not changed in decades, propagating in temporal youth and vigor throughout her realm, today, her mask would be removed, finally exposing her true visage. Anyone who was anyone in the kingdom was present. The monarch's favorite seamstress remained close by, at her post, assuring her anointed sovereign's costume was impeccable. The virgin queen was ready. She lay still, dignified, royal, arms to either side, reposed in regal attire, attended by her ladies-in-waiting ready for one last opulent public appearance, her funeral. I ate my traditional full English breakfast in silence, sometimes called a fry-up. It consists of fried eggs, sausages, back bacon, tomatoes, mushrooms, fried bread, and a slice of black pudding, similar to bloodwurst. It is accompanied by tea or coffee and hot buttered toasts. I charged the meal to my room account and ceremoniously addressed my waitress with a pinch of light-hearted drama as I struck an Elizabethan actor's pose and said with my best British accent, which I shan't reproduce for you here, Well, my dear lady, it's time to walk the hollowed interior of the Anglosphere's most revered location, Westminster Abbey. I walked across Parliament Square towards the Abbey negotiating the oncoming ballet of pedestrian traffic with an awkward stride. In quick time, I approached the grand structure, viewing the splendor of the ancient edifice with a collective spirit of awe, reverence, and excitement. Westminster Abbey is a large, twin-towered Gothic church with a vast interior. Founded over a millennium ago, it is one of the United Kingdom's most notable religious buildings and the traditional place of coronation and burial site for English and, later, British monarchs. Many royal marriages and national commemorative events have also been held within its walls. Nearing the front entrance, 
I politely pushed forward through the queue of tourists towards the ticket booth and gave my name. The attendant opened a side drawer and handed me an envelope. I retrieved its contents, a laminated clip-on badge written, Guest Privilege. Solemn religious organ music fell into my ears as I entered, a reminder to all visitors that the sanctuary was prima facie an active church, not a museum. I walked down the nave and across the transept towards the apse, taking each step in silence, head turning this way and that to capture as much as possible of the rich architecture, marble carvings, sculptures, paintings, tapestries, ornaments, decorations, and religious icons. My walk through the abbey was done in a straight line with no detours, turns, wanderings, or stops, as tempting as it may have been. I followed a planned route past brass gates and up a flight of stairs into the magnificent Henry VII Chapel, a large lady chapel devoted to the Virgin Mary at the far eastern end of the abbey, paid for by the last testament of the first Tudor king. The structure of the chapel is a three-aisled nave composed of four bays. The apse of the sanctuary contains the altar, and behind that, the tombs of Henry VII and his wife. The chapel is built in a very late perpendicular Gothic style and is noted for its pendant fan vault ceiling. The tombs of several other monarchs including Edward VI, Elizabeth I, Mary I, James I, Charles II, and Mary, Queen of Scots, are found in the chapel. The chapel has also been the mother church of the Order of the Bath since 1725 and the member banners hang above wooden stalls. There are also five small apsidal chapels. I stopped in the center of the chapel and took it all in. Elizabeth's grandfather, Henry Tudor, rebuilt this chapel in 1502 and dedicated it to the Mother of Jesus. It is considered a Marian chapel. In the 1200s, a movement towards devotion to Mary inspired the buildings of chapels in her honor across Europe. This chapel was part of that trend. In addition to venerating the Virgin Mary, Henry also wanted a royal mausoleum for him, his family, and his heirs at an important religious site that would enhance his legitimacy as king and propagate his legacy. It was a good place to remind myself that Henry VII was considered by many a usurper of the throne, causing him to constantly defend, promote, and solidify his tenuous claim to the crown. Over 30 royals and nobles are interred in this chapel, including Henry VII himself, Mary Queen of Scots, and her son, King James, and Henry VIII's children, Edward, Mary, and Elizabeth. I suddenly felt a bit uneasy, being a touch claustrophobic and not comfortable in enclosed crypts. Ever since childhood, I was nervy with the thought of being encased in a container for eternity. My mind turned to the one celebrated Tudor monarch not present in this chapel, Henry VIII, who was interred at Windsor Castle. He had planned a massive tomb monument for himself and his third wife, Jane Seymour, but it was never built. Ironically, this lion of a king, who embodied absolute power, grandeur, extravagance, and opulence, lies in a plain vault in the castle's St. George's Chapel, marked only by a simple marble slab. As for Gloriana, the Rose of England, Queen Elizabeth, I moved to the north aisle of the chapel towards a large marble structure. 
I directed my sight to the royal effigy's face atop an above-ground stone vault, then set my eyes on the queen's splendid dress. This structure was the grand monument of sister queens, Mary and Elizabeth Tudor. Known as the Virgin Queen, the colony of Virginia along the eastern coast of the United States was named after her. In 1607, the London Company established the colony of Virginia as the first permanent English colony in the New World. Virginia's state nickname, the Old Dominion, is a reference to this status. As one of the original 13 colonies during the American Revolution, it became part of the United States in 1776. During the American Civil War, Virginia was split when the state government in Richmond joined the Confederacy, but many of the state's northwestern counties wanted to remain with the Union, helping form the state of West Virginia in 1863. Virginia, officially known today as the Commonwealth of Virginia, is a state in the mid-Atlantic and southeastern regions of the USA between the Atlantic coast and the Appalachian Mountains. The geography and climate of the Commonwealth are shaped by the Blue Ridge Mountains and the Chesapeake Bay, which provide habitat for much of its flora and fauna. The capital of the Commonwealth is Richmond, and Virginia Beach is the most populous city. Next time, I conclude recounting my excursion to southern England in search of the Tudors and Queen Elizabeth. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. <laughs>